I invite you to join me on Philippians chapter 2 tonight as we look uh, at our uh, text and just try to learn from the Word of God on how we can just really follow Jesus Christ. Uh, Wednesday nights is a lot of fun as we grow and try to dig deeper in God's Word and just let the Word of God be uh, take preeminence in everything we do. But also Wednesday nights is a vital time for us as believers to spend some time in prayer. And so I'm grateful for a praying church. I'm grateful for an active church. I'm grateful for a church that desires to see souls saved. And I'm grateful, amen, for what God is doing in our midst and in our community. And I pray that you will continue to pray for us and pray and work with us as we seek God to work. Uh, in, the, in two weeks from tonight will be our final night of Vacation Bible School. And so uh, that's an exciting thing for our children. I appreciate Brother Corey uh, and, and uh, his leadership in helping our Vacation Bible School this year. And uh, looking forward to it. They've worked hard. I appreciate all of our workers that have been coming to visitation and different things. We, uh, if you have want to know how you can help, see Brother Corey. Uh, and so we appreciate all that you're doing there. I know some of you have already brought in prizes for kids and food for kids. And so we appreciate so much your support that way as well. And so let's keep that in prayer. Uh, there's a VBS, VBS meeting uh, following services tonight in front of the sanctuary. It's not uh, limited to volunteers. If you wish to join us just for prayer, please do so. Also, I ask uh, anyone not participating in prayer, in prayer uh, to let them have that time in prayer here at the front. Just take your fellowship right into the foyer. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2 tonight in verses 1 through 5. I love the book of Philippians. I I'm just get so encouraged each time I come to the book of Philippians knowing that, that Paul wrote Philippians from prison. Uh, this is what we call a prison epistle. And, and if you look at the overriding theme of the book of Philippians, it's that of joy. Now we want joy in our life, don't we? And above everything else, we really want to just grow in Christ. We want to grow in grace. And, and as a result of growing in grace, we see that God gives us joy in our life. It's a byproduct. It's not something necessarily that I'm looking for to attain, although it is a, it's a very needed byproduct today. Uh, our world is so filled with uh, hate and venom that it's good to be able to come to God's Word and be encouraged by uh, the book of Philippians and be encouraged in joy. And so as we look here tonight, though, part of that, becoming like Christ, part of uh, all of Paul's journey, and I always see Paul as a man who's a little bit braggadocious in, in many respects before he came to Christ, maybe a man who was a little bit arrogant uh, before he came to Christ, but after Christ we see a brand new creature, a man who uh, God took and was able to use his flaws in such mirac miraculous ways, and a man who God was able to use in just tremendous ways to, to start churches and see people saved and, and just see the work of God continue to go to the uh, uttermost parts of the world. But in Philippians chapter 2, uh, probably uh, is one of my favorite portions of Philippians. It was one of uh, my first chapters I ever memorized. Uh, not the first, but one of the first. And it was just always encouraging to come back to this portion of Scripture because of the truths contained in Philippians 2. And we're not going to go through all 30 verses tonight, but we are going to look at the first four together. And so as, as we look here, I just want to encourage you, our desire tonight is to become like Jesus Christ. And as we continue to grow and continue to invest in those things uh, of the foundational part of our faith, the more we do that, the more we become like Christ. Think about Romans 8, 29 with me before we get into our text. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's desire for us tonight is to be conformed into the image of God's Son. People ask, well, I don't know what God's plan for me is. 
Well, I can tell you what God's plan for you is, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so we have these, this mind of what maybe it looks like, but this is what uh, the mind of Christ is. Uh, in verse number 5 of our text, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so he shares with us what that mind is, doesn't he? And he goes on in the next few verses, and he tells a little bit more about that. In verses 6 through 8, he says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, you're at the very beginning. We we recognize here in this message that Christ had the mind uh, that we all need to have and that mind of humility. Let's look at our text tonight, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4 together. And let's let's just uh, dig right in this evening. It says, "If If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. Thank you for Philippians. Thank you for the Word of God. Lord, thank you that it is not a dead book, but it is a living book. Lord, and we don't have to uh, try to apply it to our lives. It's already applicable. And so we're so grateful that the Word of God is quick and powerful and is alive in our lives today. And so today, as we consider the words of God, I pray that, Lord, you would encourage us uh, in our walk with you to become and put on the mind of Christ who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And so may we also pick up that uh, basin and that wash towel and, Lord, be willing to be a servant for your sake. I'm thankful for you, Lord. Thank you for our dear, sweet church family. And may we just continue to grow in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you think about the definition of humility, humility is literally freedom from pride and arrogance. Humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. I read this not too long ago. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I I like that. I I really think that's something that I can apply in my life. And and I consider that uh, the opposite of pride, uh, or excuse me, the opposite of humility is pride. Pride runs deep in our, our human nature, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, uh, it's, it's not easily rooted out in our life. There's many things that, that cause us to, to be arrogant or prideful, but thankfully God's Word teaches us a warning about pride. Let's look at some of these warnings together. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 12, it says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. In Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. We consider that and compare and contrast these two, and contrast these two things, and we recognize that, that pride is like a small crack in a foundation. And, you know, at first, if you look around the foundation of your house, anybody ever inspect their foundation? Uh, you know, we don't have as much problems with foundation shifting in most of the areas where we live. 
Uh, but, you know, down south in Texas, uh, we pour big solid concrete slabs for everything. And so uh, as we build a house, we, we lay this big foundation of a concrete slab, and most of the time it's tied together with rebar. Uh, and, and over time, though, uh, concrete is known for one thing that it does well. Cracking. That's right. And when we grew up, it was a, kind of a, a black uh, clay. We called it a gumbo. It was just a nasty, mucky mess whenever it rained. You would, uh, it, it, we didn't, often didn't buy four-wheel drive vehicles uh, because we didn't have ice and snow. But if we got into a mess uh, with the rain, uh, it didn't take much, maybe an inch of rain, and your vehicle would just sink in that gumbo. And it was just a nasty mess. But listen, what it did to foundations on homes, if you, if you lived down there, you'd, you'd, in the heat of the summer, that uh, black clay would just literally shrink and con uh, contract. And so your foundation would begin to shift and begin to fall away from the, its original moorings. The crack may have started small and maybe even not even noticeable, but over time it, it will eventually lead to the house shifting, maybe a part of the brick falling off. Uh, maybe something else uh, is going on that's very catastrophic. Listen, pride puts itself first. Everything it does. It can reveal itself in things we post on social media. It can reveal itself in the things that we say about others. Even in the way we walk and the way we live, pride puts itself first. And it's all, pride is almost always easier to see in someone else than it is to see in yourself. You ever notice that? It's a lot easier to see your pride than it is to see my pride. You know, when we consider that, uh, you know, uh, God, God's Word has a lot to say about pride and the dangers of it. And I think that's why is because we're blinded by our own pride sometimes. And so as we look at this, I want you to just be reminded of, of James chapter 4 and verse number 10 tonight. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. And so tonight what I want to do is just come before the Lord uh, and just ask Him to humble us in His sight. Uh, so that we can seek Him and seek His face. Let's answer this question tonight. What are the characteristics and action of a person seeking to walk in humility? First off, seek a walk of unity. A person who wants to walk in humility desires to walk in unity. And this is what verses 1 and 2 talk about here in Philippians. He says in verse number 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Do you ever notice a humble person oftentimes is a peacemaker? Someone who wants to walk in unity with others? Uh, disunity permeates our culture. Uh, if you look at just some of the things going on in, in politics today, we'll see that there's disunity across the board. Uh, it's what feeds the news, right? Uh, when there's drama going on, people watch the news. Either that or when there's a, a bad storm. And they can't predict a bad storm, but they can predict some drama because they can make it. And so talk show, talk show radio hosts... I like to listen to talk show radios. I don't watch much news. I don't, I don't watch much television, but I do listen to the radio, and I like to listen to certain talk show hosts. And I, as I listen to them, I think, these guys just like to stir the pot. You ever notice, known anybody like that? Now, these guys, they like to get out there with a big spoon like in a witch's cauldron, and they just like to stir it up, you know? Uh, and, and we think about some of that, and that is not an evidence of humility. Many times it's an evidence of pride. Or bloggers. How many of y'all read a blog or subscribe to blogs? Some of you say, I don't know what a blog is. Amen. You know, I read some blogs, but I try to be selective about the blogs that I read because I want to I listen to somebody who's got a good spirit and not somebody who is trying to stir up strife. 
And so here God is warning us about, uh, about humility, and a humility, on the other hand, looks for solutions. And he says, humility will be quick to admit, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Do you ever notice someone who's really humble is willing to say, listen, I really didn't have a clue, I'm really sorry about that. And so humility endeavors to bring that unity back into the situation and to work out a problem. Humility will seek like-mindedness in, in many areas of their life. And so rest, recognize that God is not as interested in assigning blame as He is in solving a problem. So let's look at what is humility. It is based upon our fellowship in Christ. When we want to be humble, we must choose to be united, and that's based upon our fellowship in Christ. In verse number 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. There's a couple of terms here I want to look at very briefly. The first one is consolation. It literally means if, if, if there be therefore any consolation, means it speaks of encouragement, it speaks of comfort, it speaks of refreshment. The word here is also tied to the Holy Spirit's work as a, as a comforter. Think about Jesus Christ. When he was here, he talked about the comforter. John 15 and verse 26. He says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Listen, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is the Comforter in our life. He is the one that comes alongside of us and he encourages, he comforts, he refreshes our spirit. And when we're down, we want that Holy Spirit's work in our life. Many times when we're, when we're with a family who's grieving, we'll often come to them and just ask the Lord's Spirit to comfort them. Consolation has that same idea, that same idea of bringing comfort, that same idea of bringing refreshment. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ. There's the next thing that he talks about. He says, if, if any comfort of love. If there be any comfort of love, the word comfort means made for the purpose of calming and consoling. We are to offer others the comfort of love that only comes from Christ. Do you know Christ is the only one that really can comfort us in our time of need? The, the work of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ's uh, uh, living inside of us, He's the one that brings real comfort. We emulate that when we bring to uh, others this consolation, any comfort of love. And that's what we're emulating because God gives us an agape love, doesn't He? For God so loved the world. This agape love is the same term that God uses here in verse number 1. If any comfort of love. This agape love, it's a self-sacrificing love. Jesus died on the cross, and he displayed agape love. He sacrificed himself. And when we come together as a church, or we come together in our families, and there's disunity there, God is reminding us here very, very simply, this must be a self-sacrificing love. It's not about me, it's about Christ. And so that's the, that's the mindset he wants us to have. Matter of fact, he tells us in Galatians 5.22 that this is part of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Listen, if there's no evidence of this comfort of love in our lives, then my question is, is there evidence of the Spirit of God in your life? The next thing he talks about is the fellowship of the Spirit. If we want unity, there must be this fellowship of the Spirit. Uh, and so fellowship literally means communion. It's an intimacy. This is the type of relationship we ought to uh, endeavor to have with God. Think about when you wake up or when you spend time with the Lord. When, and when we're distant from God, we can seem like that, that if, we, if we're praying, it seems a little discombobulated maybe or, or dis, dis, uh, just disrupted a little bit. 
But when we're at one with the Lord and we know our life is right, and man, we're in unity with God, it seems like that there is sweet fellowship there. And that's the term that he's talking about here, if any fellowship of the Spirit. And what's incredible is, as a born-again believer uh, and, a, and a member of this local body, uh, all those who are also born-again believers, all those who are also uh, members of this body, we enjoy this fellowship of the Spirit as well. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we enjoy this fellowship of the Spirit, this unity, this communion, this intimacy. And I, I believe that it is strongest when we choose to observe the Lord's Supper together as a church and we come together knowing that there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. There's nothing between me and my neighbor either. I've chosen to put those things aside and to focus and to remember what Christ has done for me. And this creates a sweet fellowship of the Spirit. Those who know the Lord this way ought to have the same spirit toward others. A true desire for communion. A true desire for fellowship relationally. I, I love the, uh, when we have opportunities to spend time together whether it be at a, at a barbecue or whether it be in a fellowship in the fellowship hall or whether it be uh, sometimes we have good fellowship at, uh, at visitations for funerals. Amen? You can always tell when the deceased was a believer and they were active in church because all the Christians are hooting and hollering and having fun. It's, it's a weird thing, but it's a great thing too, isn't it? There's a fellowship of the Spirit. We know that we'll see this person again. And consider this next term. He says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and this last thing he says, if any bowels and mercies. Literally, the words bowels means one's abdomen. Just uh, uh, your little literal area where your uh, intestines are. But figuratively, though, it's a reference to the deep emotions within a person. Think about when you get really upset, your, your uh, stomach kind of clenches in knots. And that's what he's talking about here, any bowels and mercies. And so this is an evidence of strong emotions or strong uh, compassion toward others. This is more than a, a surface ability to not say something unkind to someone. It's a genuine caring for their needs. And that's what God is talking about here. Paul makes this point in this verse. He says, it's not that we've just experienced consolation and love and fellowship. Thus, we ought to give these things to those around us. And so let's look here. Not only is it characterized by, the unity is characterized by our walk with Him, but also our fellowship in Christ, but also our character of Christ. You know, God's called us to put on a certain type of character. In churches, many churches today, we, we've neglected and forsaken the character that God's called us to, to, to propagate. We've, we've decided instead it's better to be free than, uh, and to, to use our liberty for a cloak for any kind of unrighteousness than it is to truly to develop the character of Christ. But this is what he says in verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. To be like-minded with other believers, our love must be from the same source. We must draw from, uh, from the qualities that are listed in verse 1 by the Holy Spirit. And this gives us three ways this can be achieved. First off, by being in the same love. Spiritual unity is through love. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter reminds us of this truth. And listen, we've all got issues in this room. There is no perfect church because you and I belong to any church that espouses to be perfect. Amen? Uh, as soon as I became a member of Hillside Baptist Church, it was pretty good before I got here because Pastor Tolbert was here. But as soon as I joined, it went downhill from there. 
Listen, we've all got issues. We've all got problems. We've all, got, uh, got, uh, we've all must recognize that we need the love of Christ to cover the, uh, the issues that we, we deal with. And so, because love covers a multitude of sins, it's not about forcing everyone to think the same way. Uh, you know, I loved what our, our deacons, uh, as they were going through the, the, the selection of the pastor and all of those things last year, uh, as I was speaking with them, they said, you know, we've disagreed on some things but we've never been disagreeable. I appreciate that. I appreciate so much that as in Christian love that we can disagree on some things, but that doesn't mean we have to be hateful or disagreeable toward one another. You know, this is a different atmosphere. We're, we're not dealing with lost people. We're dealing with people that God has saved and God has invested in our lives and God has changed us by the power of the Spirit. And so we want to have that same love together. And 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also to love one another. That's God's desire for us tonight, is to love one another with the same love that God has loved us. Uh, I've said this before, but our theme, verse, our theme verse in our house for a long time has been Ephesians 4, 32. And be ye kind. What does it say, Josh, Josiah? To one another. All right. Be ye kind one, to one another. And so we're reminded that even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us, so I want we to forgive one another. And I've messed it up. Forgive me uh, for that. But I consider that one of our theme verses in our family because we want to not just have the same love, but also to walk in one accord. Man, to be able to, to, to recognize that, this is, this, uh, that we want to be united in the spirit of our home, of our family, of our church family. Uh, unity is not kept by accident. It takes a purposed effort and real work in our life. It means that we're going to, this is what Ephesians 4, 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says endeavoring. That means we make this choice to bring parts together and say, listen, we're going to work to make this happen. And, and as a church, we've got to choose to say, we're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to work toward this end. We're going to make sure that, that everything that we do is we put ourselves last and put others first. We're going to make sure that we walk in one accord, that we're endeavoring to keep the unity with those around us. Because listen, the most important people, the most, uh, especially when I'm going through a hardship, are the people in this room. Because I know you're going to pray for me. You're going to be there for me. You're going to love me through it. And so listen, you're my greatest uh, advocate here on this earth. And so I want to uh, be able to be at one accord with one another. He talks also about a one mind, being of uh, the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Having one mind doesn't mean that we have the exact same thoughts. You, do you recognize that this is what people are espousing today? Tolerance as long as you believe what I believe. Uh, it, it seems like a conundrum in my mind. I can't, I can't comprehend exactly how that works. But, but this, is, this is what it means, what, that we direct our minds to the same focus and same purpose. For instance, sometimes seeing things the same way can be difficult. Uh, I, this is a, a wife one time was cleaning out a dresser, and she found two black and white negatives tucked away in a drawer. And she was curious to know what they were, and so she talked, took them and had them printed. And she got them back, and she was so excited to see that her husband had kept these old negatives of when she was young. As a matter of fact, it was on their first date. Just before they'd left for their first date, here was this, the, uh, a younger, slimmer version of herself. She was so excited, she went to her husband and said, Look what I found. Isn't this wonderful? He looked at the picture and said, Wow, you found a picture of my old Plymouth. 
as probably a bad response. She was looking at one focus, he was looking at something else in his focus. And I'm reminded this morning that, listen, the reason we see things differently sometimes is because we have different focuses. We see things differently. Uh, we're focusing on different things. And I, and I see that a lot in relationships, uh, especially relationships that are going through problems. Is One's focusing on this because this affects them directly, but uh, over here, this one's focusing on something else because it affects them directly. And they're not necessarily agreeing, but they're not necessarily disagreeing, but they're get, they can get heated pretty fast in the, as a result. A humble person will seek to have the mind of Christ and be aligned with others who are also likewise-minded. What is a mind of Christ? A mind of humility. A mind that said, listen, I'm going to leave the throne of heaven and I'm going to come to this earth and be made lower than the angels. In Philippians, Paul challenged the church that their one mind should be focused on, on something. Look at Philippians 1.27. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, listen, our focus is the gospel. There are great causes all around the world, and I get mail on a daily basis. I give to this uh, social cause, or give to this social injustice, or, or do this, or do that. But let me remind you, uh, we want to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was, we were meeting with our deacons the other day, and I just reminded them, as we talked about missionaries, I reminded them, I said, my priority when we bring in missionaries is to find missionaries that are focused on getting the gospel into the world, not, not by any other means than the local uh, independent Baptist church. The church is God's method of reaching the world. The church is what God is still using. And just like he used a thousand years ago, he's still using today. And so we want to keep the right kind of focus. Think about an orchestra. An orchestra, there's many different instruments, and they're all playing at the same time. And, and quite honestly, some of them are playing the same parts, and some of you are musically gifted, or maybe you've played in an orchestra before. And, and we, I think about an orchestra. I played in uh, a bands and, and high school band and junior high band, and I, I played with a little band here at the church. And, and one of the things that I've always noticed is a band that sounds good is tuned well, right? Well, not only do they know how to play, that helps a lot too. But listen, to take it to the next level, the difference in a junior high, sixth grade band and, a, and the difference in a 12th grade high school band, there's a lot of difference, but the difference, a lot of it is tuning. But you know, when a, when a band director gets up, he doesn't uh, begin and he doesn't say, okay, uh, first trumpet, I want you to play. And then we'll play the next one to, to the second trumpet and the third trumpet plays to the second trumpet and the fourth trumpet plays. To, it would be chaos. And when they played the note at the end, if it was a B-flat or a C or whatever they wanted to play, and when they played that note, it would be absolute chaos. And the people hearing would say, how did that help? But if you take one standard and you tune all to the one standard, let's say we use a piano, and we take that piano, and first violin tunes to that one piano. That first violin is tuned to that one piano, and then first violin stands up and he gives the notes, I think it's a C, and then he gives that note, and the whole uh, orchestra at that point tunes all of their instruments to that one violin. Guess what happens when they play? There's unity. It's a beautiful sound. You, you look back and you say, man, those guys really know what they're doing. Those guys really sound good together. Listen, in a church, unity is gained when its members are each walking with God, striving to gain the mind of Christ. What is your focus? 
In a Christian home, unity is gained when a husband and a wife and, and the parents of the children are all striving to have the mind of Christ. It's the same focus, the same attention, the same uh, uh, just desire to walk with God will create unity in that home. Will there be times where you disagree on something? Yes, but you don't have to be disagreeable. Will there be times where, where maybe there's some things that maybe you need to talk through? Absolutely. But do so with a mind of Christ. If I walk in the Spirit and I'm allowing God's Word to saturate my mind, then I live uh, my life in a way that will honor God and put others first. Because we recognize we need Christ. We need Him today more than ever. We need unity in the church. We need unity in our lives. And we need to be able to walk humbly with one another. May that be our desire today, to walk with God. May that be our desire to, to strive for unity, endeavoring to keep the bond of peace. Let's do that together.